0: And welcome to another podcast of Roots and Hoots, brought to you by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. I'm your host, Gordon Spence, and today my guest is Kirk Harper. Kirk is a singer, songwriter, and frontman for the Mosquitoes, a band he's been with for many years now. He currently lives in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Kirk has a beautiful young daughter named Willow. Kirk Harper and the Mosquitoes have been traveling extensively throughout Canada, playing to numerous audiences. Which is and functions. Welcome, Kirk, and uh, welcome to Ruth and Hoots. How are you today? I'm I'm great. How are you doing, Gord? Very good. Very
1: good. Great right on. Uh, Happy to hear from you.
0: Yes, it's good to have you on the podcast. It's been a while since we uh, we had a chat, and I always loved listening to your music. Uh, I had your CD somewhere, and uh, you know, CDs kind of seem to uh, have gone out of style for some reason. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> Everything covered these days? I think you had three or four of them there, Gordon. I did, I did, and I gave some of them away, you know. Uh, people just love your music, so. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm happy to uh, hear that
1: uh, they go missing and uh, mysteriously disappear.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 because people like them. Start by telling us a bit about who you are and your family background, where you come from. Well, I'm, I'm from... Uh,
1: Nelson House Cree Nation in northern Manitoba, uh, Nisi Choyasik, and my mom was from South Indian Lake, Manitoba, and it's a fishing village about two hours north of Nelson House, and Nelson House is located about an hour north of uh, Thompson. My my dad's originally from Norway House, Manitoba, and I got roots in Wasiganback, Manitoba. So I'm kind of I'm kind of all over the map when it comes to uh, asking me where I'm from. So it's, it's a big long story when I when I have to share uh, when people ask me where I'm from. It's it's kind of funny. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So did you uh, did you spend much time as a kid growing up? Uh, did you spend much time on any of those reserves? You know what? I um I actually grew up in foster care.
1: So when I was three years old uh, I was taken away from my mom and dad I, I didn't think I was going to get into this so quickly but my community in, in South Indian Lake got flooded by Manitoba Hydro and the reason dad met my mom was because they were my, my dad was fishing in South Indian Lake and so when they they, they set up the dams and they flooded, flooded the land, dad and my family my uncle actually ran the uh, fish camp over there and they got they got flooded out, so everyone lost their jobs. And I was I was three or three and a half years old, and. My mom and dad came to Winnipeg and uh, a lot of things happened. I mean uh, they, they, they lost their livelihood and they lost their uh, their way of living pretty much. And so what happened was so what happened was um, yeah so my mom and dad couldn't speak English very well because because they, they grew up on the land living um, the traditional way of living and they couldn't speak English and and when we got when we got to Winnipeg, they lost me pretty much because, unfortunately, substance abuse got got involved, and I, I was taken away when I was three and a half years old.
0: I know that uh, a lot. There was a, a lot of people that ended up in here type of situation. There was a lot of people migrating to the cities in the '60s. I guess it must have started from the '50s, '60s, but more noticeable in the '60s and '70s. I think better opportunities, education, uh, work, health reasons. And must have been yeah. very challenging for people coming off the reserve who spoke very little English and try to adapt mm-hmm. to a new way of life. Uh, you know, I can I can imagine yeah. the, the difficulties they must have faced. Yeah, no, no, totally. Because, you know, my,
1: my parents were very, very kind people. And, and they said, well, you know, we're, we're going to take your kid and give them a better life while you get your stuff together. But I mean, I didn't have to be taken away. But, you know, they, they they flooded our land, and they pretty much, you know, said they don't care, you know, and it, it really hurt, man. I had to live a life without my family, pretty much, uh, with strangers, yeah, it sucked.
0: How how many years did you spend in uh, in
1: foster care? So I was taken away when I was three and a half years old, I guess pretty much uh, up till I was 18, so that would be 14 and a half years, 15 and a half years. I'm, I'm not good at math. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I spent uh, my whole childhood
0: in the foster care system. During that whole time, you know, it couldn't have been uh, a very happy time being away from your family. I'm not even going to ask you that question because I know what it's like uh, being removed from your, your family, and it's uh, it's not a good feeling, and it's a constant struggle. During that time, uh, were you able to communicate, or have any contact with your parents while you were in foster care? I was in... Um in
1: one foster family, so it was pretty much my, one of my first memories of being in foster care. I was about four years old, and so I was with this family for, you know, five or six months. And uh, and my brother, Elijah Moose, he apparently, um, he was born, and he was, in a, he was in a foster home. They said, well, maybe we should put uh, Kirk and Moose together. So I ended up moving in with him and, and the family that he was with. And that was in uh, North End, North End Winnipeg. So, coming from from the home to, uh, to 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 meet my brother, yeah, we ended up living in the North End of Winnipeg in the developments, also known as Little Chicago. So uh, I came from, yeah. So I came from uh, I came from a suburb uh, suburban neighborhood to uh, chaos, pretty much what it came down to, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I ended up. Uh, being with my brother.
0: I understand also that there was a number of group homes in uh, Winnipeg in the 70s for mm-hmm. uh, Aboriginal youth, I guess, such as yourself at the time. Were you in one of those group homes? I was in numerous group homes um,
1: after the fact. I, I was I was 12 years old and I, I realized that what was going on wasn't effective for me and I, I didn't like the way I was being treated. So I was 12 or 13 years old. And I, I left the, the foster home I was in because I guess systemic, it might be systemic, but me and my brother weren't adopted and we, we, we lived in a, in a foster home. So we were growing up and I was probably, well, 11, 12 years old. And I saw my brother and, and myself in this home, a uh, young, young girl, so they, uh, my foster sister in front of us. I am saying, you know what? This is not right. Like, I mean, I shouldn't even be here in the first place. And you're you're adopting out a, a young-looking white kid, and so I I started feeling racism at that moment, and uh, it really, you know, like it really affected me because you know I'm 12 years old, but I mean, I'm I'm still I still have a mind. That's not right. And why would you? Why would you hurt somebody like that, man? We we've been with you for you know eight nine years, but you never gave us the option to say, "Hey, can we adopt you? Can can you be a part of our family?" It, it felt it felt more like you wanted you you just wanted the money at the end of the month to to uh, you know take care of us. You don't have to take care of us. You got to love us, you know. And I, I really uh, I I was really hurt by by that whole situation. So I uh, I ended up rebelling, and then I was getting into fights with my uh, foster family. I ended up in, in group homes and receiving homes and getting bounced around. And, yeah, so I I really, uh, I, I missed out on a lot of things that really hurt, man.
0: Uh, at what um, point did you eventually uh, hook up back with your family?
1: When I moved out to um, the developments to, to go live with my brother Elijah, they call him Moose. He's kind of well-known in Winnipeg. I, I was I just happened to be at the park and my older sister um, Helma, her name is uh, Helma, but we call her Roxy. Anyways, we were at the the park and and her and my other sister Emily, were at the park and they said, "Hey, that that kid over there looks exactly like our dad, George."
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> George Harper, yeah. and uh, so they, yeah, so just by fluke. Uh, they, 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 they came up to me and approached me and said, who's your dad? And I I, I told them my foster dad's name and his, his name was Randy. I said, my, my dad's Randy. Confusing time. I was just young. They go, I'm, I'm not sure about that. So they pushed it on me to uh, go for a walk with them to uh, my granny's house. And she just lived, you know, uh, a football field away from the park. And so I went for a walk. And, and sure enough, my mom and dad were there and pretty much my whole family. A lot of my family was there. And I walked in and they, they said, there's Kirk was kirk harper <laughs> well i was kirk moose actually uh, at the time i i changed my name back to harper the other story about uh, m- my name so when i was taken away they 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 called me kirk moose so when i was younger i played hockey and I, I i was a pretty good hockey player uh my foster family took pride in that like you know like and that was one of the only things that they they looked at me as uh, you know, like they're doing something good, and uh, so I was I was a hockey player doing the hockey tournament in Waterloo, uh, Minnesota. What happened was the uh, border guards uh, typed up my name, and they realized there's no such name as Kirk Moose. And so uh, what what happened was they, they they took my foster parents, who were white, and a Native guy and uh, they, they, they thought they were kidnapping me pretty much is what happened. I remember it happening and so we eventually got across the border, but then they told me, do you, do you know that your, your last name's Harper? And I'm like, why would you tell me this now? I have my re- rebellious uh, stage in my life. And after, after I found out that they didn't even know my name nine years or however long I lived with them, I'm like, you know what? You didn't adopt me, you adopted a white girl in front of my face. You don't even know what my my, my, my true name is. And that's that's pretty much when I when I said, you know what, I, I don't want to be a part of this part of the situation. I don't want to be a part of this life with you people. I I, I pretty much um, right after that I, I ended up getting around, you know, learning learning a tough life because I didn't want to put up with the people that were supposed to be there to watch me that that said well we're gonna keep you safe and we're gonna we're gonna take care of you and make a better life for you but in reality they're, they're they're making my life a living hell because they didn't take my my mind as a human they they, they just put me as a product in the situation that they said you know we're gonna make it better we're gonna make it better but they didn't make it better they made it worse so I, I struggled for, for many years after that. So my name wasn't Kirk Moose it was Kirk Harper and it, it really hurt me like why wouldn't you know why wouldn't you know my name right and why would you say you're gonna make things better? you didn't make things better you made it worse and I struggled with the, with the thought of you know and and it was out of my hands so I, I, I couldn't even I couldn't even say anything. What I had to do was fight and argue
0: and say, you know what, this is this is this is horrible. It, w- it was tough, man. So you eventually uh, grew up out of there, and how did you end up leaving the foster home you were in? I got into a lot of trouble because I was mad, I was angry.
1: The only way I could get out of there was to fight and and, and be a jerk. So I got into a lot of fights and I got in trouble with the law. I was young. And I, I started hanging out with a rough crowd because, I mean, I was in the north end of Winnipeg, and I, I ended up rolling around with, with, with some of the meanest people in you know in the province. I didn't want anything to do with the family because I realized that they didn't care about me, so I, I rebelled. And then I ended up in uh, foster care, uh, receiving homes and group homes, and then I learned to be even meaner because a lot of the boys that I lived with in, in the group homes and foster homes were... And, and the receiving homes were you know kind of in the same boat it was kind of it, it was set up almost like you know what you learn to be meaner you know through the people that you're around and you, you associate with and, and I had no choice because I I was I was really upset that people didn't even know my name that took me away and said we're gonna take care of you and they didn't take care of me they they, uh, they made me meaner I think it was I think it was designed to to say hey there, there there's some native boys and, and we'll, we'll create jobs and that's yeah. that's pretty much how I felt yeah. and, 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 and I, I don't I don't want to uh, glorify it that I'm lying or, or that I don't feel like that I, I mean I, I've been in c- certain situations where I was happy about things but for the most part I, I was really hurt I, yeah. I grew up really
0: uh, really bothered by by what they did to us. Well, like growing up in the North End of Winnipeg, it's got to be one of the roughest uh, neighborhoods in Canada, I think. I've had experiences there, and uh, and it's kind of scary. And also, when you talk about group home you lived in, and uh, how tough that was, and how you had to uh, be tough, be mean. To survive, really, it's kind of a survival thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I know totally. I was, yeah, I was. Uh, I, I was in residential school, and that's the, that's the kind of mentality there is there. You know, a lot of fighting, there's a lot of bullying, and without much intervention by the supervisors, and you had to uh, scrap your way to 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 survive. So, uh, yeah, I don't totally. understand where you're coming from. Did any of your uh, family members attend residential school? Yeah,
1: my, my father uh, attended uh, residential school. Yeah, okay. and he, he was a hard worker. So what happened was when, when um, you know, he got most of his kids taken away. So he had a rough, you know, a, a rough few years yeah. um, when his kids were taken away. And uh, he, he couldn't speak English, like I said. He, he was fluent Cree. And, and, but he was, a, he was a, really, um, a really hard worker. What happened was that he got his, his life together enough for them to be able to say, well, he got his life together, but they found another reason or just kept the kids in the system because they were making money. And I, I, I hate to say it that way, but it's true because you know what? I have no connection to any, any of my family you know, and, and, and that's sad. You know what, like I have my brother Moose, who's my, you know, the only person that I, I connect with because he understands the same stuff we went through. I have a daughter, you know, and, but I mean, I lost a lot of connections. I like, I, I, I really lost a lot of stuff in my life, but so my dad went to residential school. He, he worked hard. He was one of the hardest workers, um, that many people still talk about. They're like, you know what, your dad was one of the hardest workers they ever met. It, it, it was hard looking at my dad and, you know, going to you know, to the factory where he worked because I mean, I was young and I, I would go and get $5 off him on my lunch break from school. And like, I mean, back in the day, $5 was a lot of money. I was really sad that I couldn't go
0: home because my, I knew my dad was a good man. Why don't we talk a little bit about much your music and uh, you're a singer, uh, you're a songwriter and you, you've uh, survived that whole uh, foster care thing, the group home thing and you're a survivor for sure. You've come out of it relatively well, I guess, you know, in my opinion, you know, I've known you for a number of years now and you're a tremendous guy and I've always enjoyed uh, being around you and uh, well, I appreciate that. Brother. When did you first discover you had a talent for singing? Talk a little bit about where this all began for you. Well, it started when I was really young,
1: and it was it was uh, my first foster home, uh, the one I got taken out of in the suburbs. I was living with a white family, and they they were very Christian, and I knew it wasn't um, my religion, but I I I was pretty much forced to go with them. Because we went to church. I remember the choir singing and, and doing beautiful music. I was a rough kid. I didn't know where I was, and I didn't want to be in Sunday school. Teachers couldn't handle me because I was a fast runner, and I'd, I'd take off. And they were like, okay, well, we're taking you to your foster family. You're going to go sit with them. So I sat in in the, in in the pews in the church with them, and I'd get bored. And, you know, I had... I was. You know, three and a half years old, four years old, and I had a lot of energy. And so, you know, bow your head to pray. So when they bowed their head to pray, I would duck down under the pews and crawl to the choir, and I, I would sit there because I, I I loved the music. I loved when they sang. It sounded, you know, it it was it was my peace at the moment when I was a kid. And so I went um, week after week, and and what what happened was. I, I sat on the corner, I sat in the same spot and I didn't know the words that they were singing, but I when they the choir stood up to sing, I would stand up to sing too. I didn't know what I was singing and I, I, I belted it out the best I could and I tried to follow the you know, the verse and the notes, but I mean I was just I was a very young, young young boy. So that that, that that's kind of The first uh, memory of me knowing that, you know what, music is, music was a part of my life. Singing week after week. And and I had bad dreams because the family was talking about, you're a bad person. Why would you tell a three and a half year old that he's a bad person? And and scaring me with, uh, you can't do things this way. And I'm like, I shouldn't even be here. You know, I should be with my family. Why, why are you giving me a hard time and scaring a little boy into a tradition that I'm not even involved with? I topped it out and then I moved on and I found I found my brother. And so that was that was one of my first uh, memories of music. Yeah. Uh, moved to North End, fought on the way to school and on the way back. You had to fight when you were in the North End. <laughs> That's what it all came down to. I ended up growing up in in the north end, Point Douglas, and uh, after my rebellious stage, uh, I started dabbling into art. Apparently, I was I was a good artist. I I I, uh, I worked with a lot of charcoal work, and I I created these pictures, and and the teachers really um, took to that. And said, "Well, you know what? You're telling a story," and so I I, be, I became a somewhat of an artist through that medium and so i ended up going to rb russell high school and i became involved with the the theater program and i remember adam beach and i remember you know ryan black when uh, dance me outside came came out at the same time there was um a music program and it was it was going on by the bass player from the guess who bill wallace and so the theater was right beside uh, music class and so I, I, I finished doing my theater thing and then I'd go outside and I'd, I'd, I'd hear this nice beautiful music coming out of the you know the music class and what happened was uh, I could sing, I could do that you know, and so I started going to karaoke and um, you know learning songs and, and mimicking and trying my best to uh, sound like like the artist that I was singing for.
0: Who were uh, some of your role models, positive influences in your life growing up? Well, I guess, like I said, uh, Adam Beach and Ryan Black.
1: There yeah, was a lot fun. of people. So, like I said, I was in the theater and I was into the acting and and Doug Nippenak was um, a writer. He passed on from uh, cancer issues. Like Tina Keeper, like I was in a theater group with... Uh, I think I actually worked with some of the best uh, Aboriginal artists in Manitoba uh, yeah. at the time and then still at, at this time because I'm still uh, dabbling in with, uh, you know, projects that I want to get going on.
0: When I was in uh, Winnipeg in the, the late 70s, there were a group of people uh, out of the Friendship Centre who uh, were talking about starting a... A theater group. And, uh, and I believe they got it off the ground. So that must have been the one that you got involved in. The title of your last album, When the Wolves mm-hmm. Cry, uh, that is an awesome uh, CD. And I really love listening to your music, the songs on that album. And how was that experience? I understand you wrote most of those songs on that, that CD, that album? Yeah, I, I wrote... Um, most of the lyrics, and then I wrote.
1: Um, well, no, I I, uh, I came up with the melodies, but I was working with the mosquitoes, and Darren Anderson played the guitar, and and we sat in Pegasus, Manitoba, and uh, we worked out. Uh, we worked we worked on the tunes together, and uh, we figured everything out. I was living in Toronto before we finished the album because we we, we did half the songs. We did half the songs before I left uh, Winnipeg. Uh, I went to Toronto for six months, and then uh, my dad got sick, and I came back, and I'm like, I'm I'm here, like let's finish it up, and we we all agreed to uh, get it done. So it was a neat song CD, and and yeah, so that's that's pretty much where it came from. Uh, when the Wolves Cry album, uh, five songs on the National Aboriginal Countdown, uh, came into number one, and I think there was. Two songs that came to two and three, so I mean, out of, uh, eight songs. Uh,
0: I, I think that's a that's a you know something to uh, brag about. Sure, about. yeah, it's an excellent album, and I really uh, I always listened to it. Uh, I was really uh, surprised that it didn't get a a Grammy for it, or you know, one of those what do they call them, the Junos. I was expecting to see you guys on that stage, and I was kind of shocked when uh, other groups went ahead of you. But in any case, that's that's their mistake. So uh, it, it, it's politics, in my mind. I mean, yeah, uh,
1: I, I know there's there's other things that are going to come in my life, and 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 uh, uh, same with the mosquitoes. I mean, we're just going to keep growing. Yeah, and thing you know, things will find their place in the world.
0: What are your uh, What are your future plans? Are you still with the band, the mosquitoes? Any plans uh, for another album? Oh, you know what? Right before COVID started. I think the world stopped,
1: so I I think I stopped with them for a bit. Yeah. You know, reflecting and uh, uh, getting back to uh, my thoughts because uh, when you're on the road every week, you know, it's always something else that you have to think about, not, you know, think about yourself. So I don't want to sound mean or rude or anything but um, it, it gave me a good time to stop and think about what what's, what's going on in my life what i want to do next because i want to start a business but i want to do the music because it, it, it's part of my soul and i i need to uh keep that up but i i have a daughter i gotta you know think about her future when she gets old old enough to uh, legacy i guess i need to leave yeah yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting a business and because of the COVID, I, I can't dabble into what I was actually going to do because we don't know what the norm is yet. And so my, my advisor pretty much told me just, you know what, let's sit on it six months to a year. You know, it gives me
0: a lot of time to think. Yeah. This, uh, this COVID virus has really, uh, changed everybody's life and, uh, we kind of put things on pause for a while and, uh, and it, I'm sure it's going to give you some time, some to think about your life, and uh, and uh, maybe some great songs will come out of you in the future. And I really look forward to that. Uh, the last part of the uh, the podcast of Ruth and Hoots is the the theme <laughs> part. Uh, meaning, you know, something funny. You know, uh, Aboriginal people are always funny people, right? They're always telling jokes and always always telling funny stories. And and this is the last part of the podcast. And I'm wondering if you have. Uh, and if uh, and I know for musicians, you know if you don't want to tell a joke. If you wanna, if you wanna sing a song, uh, a few bars, uh, that that's that's up to you too. So uh, uh, whatever you decide to do, Kurt, uh, I want to thank you. I'm gonna close it off. You can close it off with a song. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you for taking the time. You're a wonderful guy and uh, and a good friend, and uh, you got a lot of talent. You got a God-given talent there, so. But just nourish that, you know, and take the time that you need to, you know, uh, to, to keep working on uh, on your, your song and your singing. I've been talking to Kirk Harper, a survivor of the Six Scoop era, who luckily found his way back to his roots and now resides in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Kirk is going to close off this podcast with one of his songs from his album CD with the Mosquitoes Band, When the Wolves Cry. The song is titled, Save Our Love. Save Thank you, Kirk. I close
2: my eyes, I'm asleep in no time. My subconscious, I hope I wake up yesterday. Cause that's when I held you, that's when I loved you, and tomorrow Hoots and Hoots is produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. For more podcasts like this, please visit our website at legacyofhope.ca.